0: Welcome to Miracle Nutrition with Hardy White. I'm Hardy White. Join me now, won't you, as we travel together back in time, back through my mind to places that never were or are yet to be. And I tell you stories But don't have a point or an ending. And that way, you won't feel like you're missing anything. Oh my goodness, it's just so good to be together. Isn't it? This is the Old West. It's not the Old West that you're familiar with. It's not the American Old West. It's the Old West of my brain. It's a kind of wide-open, deserted part. And this is the saloon. I can just imagine how lively it was when there were people and thoughts here. But I want you to listen to a tale I'm gonna tell you. So why don't we just uh, pull up a chair and uh, lean on back. and uh, I whip on this old piano. Oh, I love these old things. The saloon was lively with music. So, uh, let's see. Camp races Race, sing this song. Do da, do da. Camptown races Races, my mile long. Do a do da day. Do on, do all night. Do, do, do dawn day. Camptown Races, do their song. Somebody's do the way. The people would all gather here from the town and they would sit around and drink whiskey out of bottles that had corks in them. And then they would play cards. They used to like to play things like Old Maids or of uh, them was Uno and you'd need a special deck for that or Rook and they would bring their own cards. And sometimes this thing that was supposed to be a pastime, a game, would turn into something more like a war, and when that happened, everything changed. And when everything changed, that's when everyone left, because the peace had been violated. Something had happened. They weren't able to play games together anymore. There were now conflicts and small battles everywhere. And so at first the townspeople didn't want to give up and they sent for someone to help. And the person that they sent for was the blue shemp. Now the blue shemp is not the shemp that you're thinking of from the Three Stooges. I mean, he'd look like that. Except he was blue. And he was blue because of a, a genetic thing. It was like the <coughs> Blue Fugates of Kentucky. He didn't turn himself blue eating silver or something. No, it was just a, a genetic thing. I think had something to do with the veins close to the surface not having as much oxygen in them. So he appeared blue and he appeared to be Shemp. But that's not how he got his name. See, his name was Solomon. And the Hebrew for Solomon is Shlomo. And when his young siblings tried to say Shlomo to Pupu's or pee-pees like that to their mother, it just came out shimp. It took so long for the uh, telegraphs to get out in those days cause they had to run them across a big plain, and, uh, and then they had to take them by horseback and, and, and all this for a telegraph when they could have just mailed a letter. You know, because that's how close they were. And it was, but they liked the technology so much that they thought, oh, I, I want to use that even if it takes as much effort as just writing a letter because I wanted to go through electricity. I want the Blue Shemp to know that there's real trouble in this settlement because that's what it is. There was nothing here and there was no invitation for any thoughts or people to come here to this part of my mind. It's peaceful. It's where I don't permit kind of the normal worldview to come in. You see what I'm saying? By that time Shemp was on a train and he was on his way to that settlement in my mind because I invited them there. The people had invited them there. They had begged him to come protect them. And when you do that, when you invite a protector, you get what you get. And you get all the wild things of the imagination. I was looking for answers. So I called the blue shimp. And it came to our town and he was wearing Levi's. Levi's. And I thought that was snazzy. And I said, Blue Shemp, the reason I've called you here is because in my imagination, things have gone wrong. Ordinary card games, things that I do for amusement, have started to oppress me. And that's because I got them from this outside world, this world that I wasn't even asked to participate in. And it's sort of oppressing me, you see what I'm saying? And so, it got to the point where things got violent, and I was attacking myself internally. And I was doing this because I knew I didn't fit in to the rest of the world. I couldn't figure out what the rules were from a very young age. I felt alienated. And so I headed off into what I thought was just desert, you know? I'll start all over again. I'll start all over again very far away. And so I retreated into my mind, into empty areas. And slowly, things crept in. But the things that crept in, they weren't original. They were from that world I was running from. Do you understand? And so I needed something. I needed something to believe in. I needed some place to stop for a while and just think and collected myself. I needed an identity. And and that's why I came to this old west town out here with the animals and the creatures and, all the strange things. I think that's an elk. And that's strange? It sounds like a dude going, oh, oh. but it's an animal. And I find that's, uh, I don't understand anything really about the outside world. And my inside world, that's only a shadow of it. So how can I live in something that's just a sort of a cartoon, shadow version of the real thing that I can't see? I'm living in a dream of a dream. So when I'm asked to run a little town or something and be sheriff, I can't do it. I have to send for someone and I send for the blue Shemp. I didn't know what type of person he would be. I knew it wasn't the real Shemp because this wasn't reality. And that person, Samuel Howard, was long dead. He's just uh, like an icon, a picture something I saw somewhere. It came to life inside of me. And that happens with almost everything I see. I've got to sort it all out. This place is strange to me. And I realize I'm ultimately alone. And it frightens me. Because even alone, I'm uh, surrounded by strangers. Hello? Is there someone here with me? I think that every week when I speak on the radio. Hello, is there someone here with me? I feel like someone's listening. And I'm performing as if they are. It never stops. The performing never stops. When I was very little and I was afraid, I knew that the thing to do was act a certain way. Maybe act like a little clown. Maybe get some laughs or something. Do a funny voice. And if they're laughing, they might not be hurting you. And you might not be able to figure out what's going on. But if you can make them all laugh... Ah... that distracts them and maybe they won't notice that you're lost completely oh when they tell me something on the first day at a job I knew I wasn't going to remember it and I knew by the second day they'd be mad at me because they'd think I already told you that and I'd have to tell them yes but as you were telling me I was terrified I wouldn't remember and so I didn't Now, if you tell someone that, it makes you seem useless, and they might cast you out. And so you have to pretend you know, which is dishonest on top of being potentially stupid. And that's the way you feel. So you want to be able to telegraph somebody. You want to be able to walk into maybe the post office or something and see a sign, one of those like, have gun, we'll travel, have something, we'll travel. Somebody's going to save me. There's going to be a hero or some icon or something that's going to come give me direction. And maybe they'll even recognize it. They'll say, oh, my gosh, you're exactly right. I've been going through that thing, too. It's just like the ugly duckling. He's really a swan or whatever. And the other swans recognize you. And they say, hey, the problem isn't that you don't fit in with the ducks. They're swans. But you know what? Maybe there aren't swans. Maybe there's no such thing as a swan. Maybe that's an ugly duckling's way of having hope. And then they never show up. He's just a duck. I'll start my own ducks. That's what I do when I retreat to my old western town. I'm gonna start again from scratch. I'm gonna come out here to the old west and I'm gonna build buildings that look like the buildings back east. Ah, back east, I haven't figured it out. I'm so scared of everything I ran. I ran from it. I wanted to start over again, but when I start over again, I make little identical replicas of the buildings that I'm running away from. And I bet that I make little identical replicas of the people that I'm running away from. I'll make the same ones out here in the West. Where there's ducks and swans and elk and wild things and people who just want to be left alone. How many? Oh, did you ever go to the people who just want to be left alone club? It's packed. You can't get in. There's a line. Same thing at the people who are people people place. Line there too. Everybody's running to anything that's human. There's no being a unique human. There's only being a human human. And the feeling of isolation is inherent. It's part of the definition. Oh, we're all one among many. And that's lonely. Beep, 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 beep deep, 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 I'm calling the shimp. I forget how to do it and I'm thinking trying to think of SOS. So I go well. The ass I can get. Do I call him Blue Shemp? Dear Mr. Blue Shemp, I am the the titular head of my little internal Western town, and we were minding our own business and we were playing. I think Go Fish or Old Maid, which is a little bit offensive. And somebody got their something's in a wad and shot. Um, I don't even know who. One of the players. But see, they're all me and aspects of myself because this was something that happened in, uh, in, in my mind country. So I'm writing to you because this is what they do in the old movies and everything to say, could you come like the one where Gene Wilder's a rabbi? I think they have them on out uh, They say, hey, we're out here in the West and uh, we're getting uh, hassled. You know, I think I'm mixing up Shane and something else. But uh, Rabbi Shane, Rabbi Shainan or something, I don't know. Um, he goes out there, Gene Wilder, and he says, I'm your new rabbi and I'm a bit of sheriff. So, He's like, oh, look at your rabbi with military. Are you Israeli? You have Yes, I have a, a Krav Maga cowboy. And uh, come out here, and uh, you will no longer be hassled by the Johnson twins or whoever trying to uh, muck things up out here. For me, see, here's here's my problem. I'll just I'll just tell you because my therapist said I'm sorry. I think you're gonna. I'd like you to find another barber. <laughs> but you're such a good listener. I think. That uh, I invite so much into myself because, you know, I'm a human being. And uh, I, 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 when I have solitary places inside that I escape to, I often bring stuff from the outside. Now, that stuff is sometimes contaminated with the outside world. And what I mean by that is, um, let's say I'm having a, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about some kind of fantasy where I'm a movie producer or something like that. All of a sudden, I think about the corporate film system or something, and I get mad, mad at myself that I've brought in like all these uh, oppressive economic assumptions or something into my internal imagination. And now I'm a, like a boss in my inner heaven. Yeah, I didn't. That's not my idea. I got dragged in here. And I've had to sort through my dreams like crazy because i have just coming up in our wonderful culture I've wanted to to do and be so many things that I realize now, oh, no, I don't want to do or be that. Here's something uh, sort of meta to consider, and that is this. Think of my little old western that I just performed for you. Thank you, Hardy. That was interesting. You're very welcome. It felt experimental. It was. Now, are you going to take it and sort of uh, craft it and hone it and clean it up and make it something even better? For what purpose? For maybe doing it on a bigger scale or something. No. No. Why would I do that? We've already had this conversation. No, I'm not going to probably do that. And the reason I won't do it is because uh, this is uh, other people's assumptions about how you do things but it could be better. What do you mean by better? I don't understand that. I don't think what you mean is better. I think what you mean is different. Because that's what we often mean by better, is just different. Better is a strange value judgment, and it is relative to so many things. And we toss around good, better, and best just like they're innocent, little ideas and not things that kill our spirit when we rank. And some things think obvious, they say, well some, some, some rankings are obvious and but they're not. <laughs> they're obvious if you eschew nuance. if you are afraid of uh, looking at things carefully. Now I had this revelation when I examined, a book by the father of eugenics, which is a bad thing, Francis Galton. It's not all he did. You know, he was a renowned scientist who did a lot of things that weren't about uh, making people, making better people, basically. And, but it stemmed from this idea. And the reason I know this is because one of the first books he wrote was called The Art of Travel. And what he did is he wrote about how, uh, what were the best ways to do certain things when you were traveling. Like if you had to survive or something, what's the best rope? He did sort of early product uh, evaluations and buyer's guides kind of thing. He was the first person to do that. But he was doing it to evaluate things. What's the best way to kill fish if you're stuck this way? What's the best way? And they were all this, and they were very obviously, opinionated and strange. And it was this compulsion to order the world and rank it so that every person and everything was sort of ranked from, you know, zero to ten, from good, better, best. And when you do that and you start to incorporate people, and then, of course, it goes south very quickly because you just extend this philosophy to everything, and you're ranking everything. You're ranking behaviors. You're, you're ranking all sorts of things all the time based on what? I don't know. Assumptions. Preferences that come from who knows where. And then uh, sort of impose that on everything and insist. And so when I do things on the radio, There is this idea that they're sort of like not as good as something that could be more polished or that was uh, designed for commerce to be sold. And that's why that stuff is so good because uh, people are getting paid. And so they have to do a lot of things to justify the money. And uh, there's not a lot of room to do things that don't seem like the best way of doing them. And often, uh, crazy people with nothing to lose are the only ones who can do proper experimenting. And I am left alone here on a corner of the radio where I can goof around and speak to you directly and tell you about ideas I'm having without any kind of a, a point to it but you I'll be very suspicious of points you know what are you getting at because if if there's sort of like if you're paying for something or somebody's has your attention, they're... Their point is is gonna have to be beneficial to somebody. That's just the way it works. So you wonder what am I being what am I being sold today? And I really don't I don't think I'm I think I'm am selling you things, but I j I don't know what they are. They're just my assumptions too. They're going right off but I don't know what they are. See, I'm that's a good thing. So I think that exempts me from any kind of uh, you know. There's no malice, let's just say. And there's um, no expectations other than using this medium, and they call it medium, because it's never well done, to communicate to other human beings and to express something about this experience And the voice can do that very well, I think. Often, when we hear voices on the radio or reading us a a book on, they're not on tape anymore, what is it? Just they say audio books. Spoken word books. Chapter 3. Terry took the small piece of paper out of his pocket and looked at it again. Nothing. that sort of thing. You've got that. Then you have things on the radio that are well done. I called Jim a second time. This time there was no answer. And that kind of thing. And there's nice music and stuff like that. Beautiful. I wish I could do that. But see, I'm exempted from that because of my, I'm not able to do that. You wouldn't hear me over there on the radio. But you do want to hear people that can't do it well, too or something like that. It's not really well, It's like I said, it's just different. There's some different ways of doing things that you don't get a chance to hear all the time. The same is with food and cooking and things like that. That's why it's great to be with home chefs and things. There's just stuff they don't serve in restaurants. Some restaurants might be hip to some things and you go, oh, we're gonna serve you know, some crazy comfort food. But a lot of times, the things you make at home aren't the things you get out. Maybe there's no so-called value in them. So just for a minute, like unrank things. And I, when it's done for art, it's just absolutely wonderful and brilliant and freeing. You know, so you can't, there's no... You know, things are what they are. And uh, I'm not saying everything's equal. They work or they don't work. And the proof of the pudding is in the tasting. So, you know, if, if there is poetry that everybody agrees is not doing it for them or makes them feel nauseous that is what it is there's nothing you can do about it right but there's it's also true that uh who wants to test that you know if you're a poet and you want to get in a magazine or something you 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 just you don't want to you know bump right up against people's limits because you want to get in the magazine and everything You don't want to be that much of, and then, you know, if you don't get in and you you sound like a crank, so they don't get me, I'm too much. Oh, it's a trap, isn't it? Because it's the wanting to get in in the first place. It's the, uh, it's all the, the gatekeeping and everything that causes it. If we just, if it was just okay to just do stuff for your friends, that'd be amazing. I wish we could get there but then there would be no movies. I don't know, I think Do we, maybe we need movies because we're, we're just a crisis of the imagination. Maybe all the things that we're in love with are like medicines. But if I don't have my medicine of cinema, I shall go mad. Well, you know, I mean, people did live without it for a really long time, and I don't think their experience was diminished. And it, it does seem a wacky thing. And, and it is sort of like uh, withheld from us largely. So you have access to, to watch these little things on your pocket watch or whatever or on your square at home, like a proper movie screen. you, you know, there's got to have access to it. costs a lot of money. And it all costs money. Mm, there's nothing free anymore because giving away your skills feels like, oh, why would I do that? That's nutty. You know everything is potential the money making. The good thing for me is I'm such a good—I've always been able to support myself through ditch digging, which I do. Lo- and I was warned this by my my grandfather, I gotta dig ditches, and I thought I love that. So I'm looking forward to di- uh, ditch digging. No, I don't ditch. No. <laughs> I would though. I absolutely—if you had ditches to dig, I'm getting a little older now, but. Odd job is an odd job, and there's nothing wrong with it. I think it helps. I, and I know many of you have lived in—I um, speak to a lot. And the reason I'm speaking like this is I speak to a lot of people who are, no matter what they do, uh, creative, or they have ideas, or they're interested in things that are not uh, mainstream or whatever you want to say. Well, that's why they're listening to WFMU in the first place. And so they're like that to begin with. And then they're self-selecting, you know. So they do various levels of art things a lot of times. Some people devote their entire life with it, or musicians, professional artists. And a lot of people, most people are in between, you know. And so, first of all, they love it when you say, that's amazing and great, this, this pressure to be, you know, one thing or do a thing all the time or, oh, my goodness. That's not necessary. You don't have to do it around here. Oh, we love you for who you are. You are a bunch of different things, aren't we all? Oh, our roles change all the time. We're different things to different people. I might be an artist to you, but not to another person. I might be a chef to one person, but not another person. I might be a friend to one and not to another. Oh, my goodness, we do a lot of different things, and I think that's wonderful. And... I'm just here to remind you, not that our, the culture we live in is horrible or anything like that. I'm just reminding that, that uh, soul-crushing feeling that you're getting, where it's coming from. And to, uh, to know that that isn't the best way to, to live, really. Because there is none. You just do. Uh, evolution bears me out. Whatever best is is best at the moment. It might be t- worst in two seconds. It, it's all a very uh, intricate dance. You can't rank it. It doesn't work that way. It isn't a ladder. It's a big, weird, v- vibrating web. And so, you know, tell me where the top or bottom or side of that is. You can't. And uh, it's we're all bouncing along like that. An old, hearty, white. He's like that fella. What was a wagon train? I was watching that for a while. And there's a guy on that. Cook a guy who cooks beans and stuff or whatever. And um, he's uh, you know he's not as doesn't have as many skills as some of the others, you know. But they give him uh, dignity, and sometimes he he saves the day. One time he saw a ghost and saved everybody. So he's played as a simpleton, but uh, you know one that can often help out, like your dog. And that's how I see myself. It needs, we, I think really we need all types. And too often, everybody is, you know, it just stinks of gifted a lot of times on, on entertainment. You know, I don't know, I can only handle so many people who are just uh, not like me that I would like to see sort of like a, uh, just a kind of goofy, rambling dullard. Uh, once every once in a while. That's why I started on radio. I really thought, hey, it doesn't take much to do what I want to do. And what I want to do is just be uh, nice to people or, or, or display human kindness or vulnerability, things I wasn't hearing on the radio. I just wanted to go on. And be sweet and tell people I love them. That kind of thing. Be comforting. There's nothing wrong with that, I don't think. I knew there was a place for it. And so I realized it takes no great intellect or talent to do that. And I found a way to do it. And I found my way onto the radio. And I was doing it. And I just did it in my imperfect, awkward way. And I still do that. Isn't that amazing? There's still someone letting me do that because I think there's not really a lot of competition. And the reason there isn't a lot of competition is because uh, there's not a lot of call for it or something, which I just can't imagine. But I suppose there isn't. And uh, in a way, I'm happy. And in another way, I'm not so happy about that because I wish there was more of that. I wish it was a looser thing. I wish there was more access to uh, media by people that didn't do it professionally, too. That's the thing. You know, when you don't see those, um, people always say, oh, I love the old cable access shows or something like that where any old fool could have a TV show. Exactly. And now, granted, we have YouTube and all that, but it's really hard to find things a lot of times. And there is something sort of magic about, about the radio, and about listening. I guess there's really, there's a lot of what I'm talking about. There really is a lot of it now, and there wasn't when I started. So, so long. Goodbye. I'm, I'm done. No, uh, that's not true. Oh my goodness. Oh no, my friend. Hey, listen, just let me grandfather me in. So we're going to let Hardy stay on the radio just because he's been on so long. Thank you so much. And I would like to say this that I'm not hearing a lot of voice modulation on those YouTube broadcasts. So I just want to say I, I'm here, if only, to display how you pull back from the mic. And I know that everybody on this radio station knows how to do that, and there's nothing wrong with it. I love it. It's just you realize a little bit that the mic and, the, and your voice are like a theremin or something like that. And so, you know, it, the mic is a bit of an instrument, so you can you 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 ah uh, you do you do things with it and you can get up on it and you can pull back from it and everything like that. I love it and you end up playing it. You look like you're one of those um, those uh, bird glass birds with the felt beak that bobs into water. Do they still have those? Do you know even what I'm talking about? They have a a, a bottom made of mercury or something and they. Bob into water. I don't. You don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about. My goodness, I'm so sorry. The memories come. They're not always fully formed. They're just like embryonic sometimes. They're just a gooey, half-baked thing that I, I'm misremembering. But I think that some of you though, are over a certain age are going, oh, yes, that the nodding glass bird novelty item that dips its beak into water and then it oh gets, it gets goes no and it stands back up again it's a physics experiment i think i don't mean to dwell on it but i think it was invented by da vinci he invented that and on the bobbleheads, he made and a lot of things like that he made the box where the hand comes up and grabs the coin mm, that was probably heron of alexandria He was an incredible inventor. Hero, or Huron of Alexandria, is a guy who made special effects for religious temples. And he invented this little jug that, you know, you turn it one way and it's water and and you turn it the other way and it's wine or something like that. You put a coin in and now it's wine. Um, He did this effect where Zeus, there's a carriage comes sweeping down from the ceiling when you open the doors and things like that. He used a lot of... Hydraulics. So, this was back in the day. And I just think that's great. I wish there was more special effects in churches. It, people would buy it. They, woo! More magic tricks. It would totally work. I think we're getting to that era where it would just really, really, you could do, uh, you can Oz people like crazy. You know, I'm the great and powerful Oz. Little smoke machine. Because I think we're going, that's how fast we're going to be that that wonderfully entertainable. I don't want to make any judgment about intellect, but, you know, in a wonderful state of violent naivete, and I don't know what even to call it, our monkey selves, coming soon. I really believe it. And I want to, oh, hold on to the higher selves that see consequences. I can't be the the person I want to be unless I open my eyes because I don't want to hurt you. Uh, this idea that I, if I don't see it, that I'm not hurting is ridiculous to me. I can be culpable for doing things if I'm willingly blind. So I ask for wisdom always. I study always. This is why I learn, so that I can see consequences. I can understand why certain actions lead to certain things. That way I do less harm. If I know what causes damage or pain... To human beings, then I can do less of it. If I can eliminate actions that make the world harder, worse, more painful, more difficult for creatures, then I won't do those things. If conversely there are things that I can do To improve things, I will do those, but I gotta see the connections and I gotta study and look hard. They're not ever gonna be revealed to me magically. There's no one out there with a pamphlet that's gonna tell me how to do it. I have to use my reason. I have to use my intelligence and wisdom. I have to concentrate and pay attention. I have to look, I have to feel. I have to open my heart, be unafraid to have it damaged. I have to take off my emotional armor. So that I can feel things that way I know what's going on. I got to use all my senses and I go into the world that way. Learning, vulnerable, understanding. And only in that way can I be the moral being that I long to be. Because I just, I can't live with, uh, with feelings of of knowing that I'm causing pain or Uh, that causes me pain, too. And so, I feel like a lot of you are the same way. You know, listen, if you're a psychopath and acting like one, I'm not sure that's bad. There's nothing you can do about it. You're not feeling it. If you're not a psychopath and you're acting like one, oh, whoa, whoa is you. Oh, you're going to feel the sting of it. I'm telling you, none of this do I do because I think it's, uh, I'm going to get some external reward. I do because of the feelings, because I'm not blind to what they do to me and do to others. So I don't want to uh, have it erode my consciousness as I spend more time having to blind myself to these things that I might do to others. I feel alienated as it is. If it really is my fault, imagine that, add that on top. So even when someone is purely innocent, they feel like, oh, I'm, uh, do people love me? They question whether they belong. But then, let's say you actually do stuff that's ignorant or hurtful. It's hard not to turn on yourself. And I'm telling you, that's a bad place to be, and you don't want to be there. So either forgive yourself, and then, but then you on top of that, then you have to learn. Uh, you have to learn to, to see better, to, to, to to, look, to look when it's difficult, and it's unpopular to do that now. You got to have a take, instant take. You can't just stare and look and see, and feel. You have to decide. What's your opinion? What's your opinion? Well, I have a lot of questions, and that there is a like lot no place for that. Well, I have a lot of questions about everything all the time. Oh, not just for contrarians. I have friends. Some of them are bless a heart, but you know, you always have a a friend that's a good a good natured. Well, actually, or a contrarian who always feels obligated to be uh, the advocate. has Satan, the advocate. They always have to stand up for, you know against blanket statements and uh, that's fine I understand that we all have to we all have to do that and um, uh, but you know at some point you have to make a decision though one of those things is probably best and and one is not and uh, I, I use human suffering as a gauge you know I just don't if i if, if if something that i want to do requires pain of others or i have to tolerate uh, destruction or murder or, or, or uh, oppression of, of others i that's intolerable and so we uh, forge ahead and find a way to gather all our beautiful creatures and all our siblings together all humans at least oh my word is that so hard I'm reaching out to you, I'm doing my little radio westerns, and I always am, am pleading that um, find it in your heart to feel for others and understand these strange worlds and realities that we've created that alienate us from each other and estrange us from one another and make us feel our differences acutely. and. Keep us blind to our similarities, and uh, we are inured sometimes against the, the sufferings and uh, used to the cries, but we will not be destroyed by uh, facing these things they are they are difficult, but they are reminders that we need to act and that thing can be small. No Herculean acts necessary. Small movements of the heart are enough. You know, inch yourself clo- closer every day you know, to being able to understand uh, what's going on, understand others. Some things are, you know, hate directed at you, intolerable. Not much you can do about it. No requirement to be, a Stoic, uh, Zen monk. You, there's. We react and we do all sorts of things to preserve and defend ourselves. That's reality. And bless you in your battle to survive and stay alive. I'm with you there, I don't know what to do either. And so, uh, go back to the funny part. I will, is go back to why Shemp is blue. So it's a blue picture. And I know that, that when I'm saying Blue Shemp, you're all seeing Shemp Howard's face, and then it's colored blue, and you go, that's a Blue Shemp. What is it? What's a Blue Shemp represent? It's a kind of shame. It's a kind of spiritual shame, and that's what we're all looking for. It isn't really God. It could be anything. Our spiritual shame could be, you know, our hobby or something that we think is going to come and transform our life and make it uh, chase away all the all the negative things, some uh Uh, wonderful set-it-and-forget-it situation where we don't have to be the one. We don't have to be the hero. We can hire him. He'll come in. He'll ride in. it will be some other that does it for us, some symbol. Oh, I recognize the blue champ in myself and I reach out. To the universe, to ask that I be also a blue ship to myself. I am. He. Oh. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. I tried to. I was singing there, and I said, try to make it sound not like something you've heard before, and that's very difficult. So. Uh, That's why, where'd you get that strange way of singing, Hardy? That's usually what's going on. I'll be in my head, I'll say, this sounds like a good note to sing next, and then another part of my brain will go, no, don't, in fact, do this one. And that's how I do it. So I have a a way of messing up as I go, and that's, I call it a variation generator. And it generates behavioral variations you know just kind of uh, randomly and that's good there is no real randomness you know it's not really random it's just a really big pattern you can't see so I just relax and uh, flow with the river I am a driven leaf except that no one's driving ooh it's like a runaway bus in one of those movies who's gonna hop on me oh Don't try to save me. Let me careen through the streets of San Francisco. My uncle lived in San Francisco during the time that they were filming the series The Streets of San Francisco. And he told me one time, you know, sometimes in the streets of San Francisco, they film The Streets of San Francisco. And I said... Really? And he said, yes. Because there's nothing like the streets of San Francisco. And if you're going to call a show the streets of San Francisco, it can't be like WKRP in Cincinnati, where the opening, of course, is Cincinnati. But the rest of it isn't. The rest of it's all shot in Hollywood. No, it can't be like that. It's too recognizable. If I was going to call something Hardy's old Western brain town, that's where I've got to do it. If I'm going to call it a thing, that's where it has to be. Oh, if this is going to be some strange radio of the twisted mind, then that's where it's going to have to take place. We're going to have to do it on site. There's no way to candy coat it. Oh, we can't go take this into the studio and make it more real. It's never going to get more real. It's coming to you right from the source. You were drinking radio milk from the cow's udder. That's what you're doing. I'm squirting it right into your mouth because you don't want to have it all. I would like it cooked and put in a box first. No, no, raw milk. You heard it here. You're, I know what you're doing now. Oh my goodness, I feel the joy that's coming rising up in you. And he said, "I love it. Oh, you're, you're, you're killing me, Hardy." And I think you you mean killing me like I'm, like the opposite. Yes. All right. You're keeping me alive. I'm keeping you alive. You're keeping me alive. That's crazy. How are we doing this? Who's holding who? How are we flying? I don't know. Who's got you? Who's got me? That kind of thing. Oh no. Who's got you? They say that to each other these two characters that have the same voice that I'm doing. But that's the way it is. It's, it's a mutual things. Things cause one another, but sometimes we can't see where that is, you know? So, so one person does like another person first, but ideally it feels like it happens simultaneously. And then there's suddenly just like, So my friends, I hope we have made a connection. If this is your first time listening, I'm not sure what to say. You'll ask other listeners, is this always like this? And they go, it is always like this in that it is not. So I don't know what to say to you. Oh, it's a ride. Oh, thank you for joining me on the ride for so long. It's been great. It's like I say, could you hop in the car? 11 years ago, I said, hop in the car. Will you just, drive with me somewhere and y'all went sure where we going and I went and I lied I think and we've been driving ever since and every once in a while you go "Ah, where are we going and I'll just giggle and keep driving and I love that I think that's been our relationship the whole time and you've probably many of you've stopped asking uh, where we're going and you just like being together and I do too oh my goodness people use the word blessed a lot I don't I feel just uh, lucky and lucky just means that I can't quite see or don't want to see the connections between what I've done and what's happened to me and that's kind of silly you know but for some reason, we'd like the good stuff to be a surprise. So I just, I don't know what a lot of good people say. I don't know. I just feel so blessed. It's like you're a nice dang person. That's why I have, why do I have all these friends? Because you're sweet. Little Friends will do that all the time, acting surprised. You know, like, I'm just so lucky and blessed. I don't know that that's it. I think that really people like you because you're likable and kind and generous. So I'm always saying that to other people. So I imagine that the, you know that all these things that I think are blessings probably are a result of something I've done. Maybe I like to think they're not, because then that's you know that's scary. So like, oh, what if I stop doing a certain thing? Does that mean they'll go away? It's easier to accept that I'm getting them without deserving them. Because if I start thinking, "Oh my God, it's something I'm doing," and now I'm not doing it, that's terrifying. So I wonder if I could have the <laughs> And I do kind of have those thoughts in my head at the same time because I'll meet people and talk to people and they'll tell me something was important to them. And I'll think, and then when I'm doing something like really stupid that has nothing to do with helping somebody or I'm, I'm, I think, oh, my God, I'm not doing the thing that made that person like me or connect with me anymore. And it's scary for a minute. But then I realize I don't think they want it all the time that's you know um you were you, uh, you saw me at a time you were particularly thirsty i gave you a glass of water now if every time i see you i just keep pushing water on you you're like dude i'm fine i got i was just that day i needed it or i was going to die now i've been i've been access to water's been good so you sure you don't need any water and uh, the old we do this as uh, parents and grandparents too. You know we're so used to it. food was the solution at one point, so it must always be. You're not hungry. I remember that time you were hungry, and then I gave you food, and you ate, and it was great. Yeah, I'm good now, though. All right, sure. So I do always keep wanting to give you whatever worked, and I got uh, some, but I disabuse myself of that, and then I just bring bring the useless, and it's just an exercise in. Rational thought. I think there's nothing more. That's just where I've gotten. There's nothing more. He said, what's this data stuff about? Uh, I think there's nothing more uh, rational than uh, refusing to settle at uh, an answer once time has passed. I mean, there's no—things are changing constantly, and I think it's more insane to sort of— try to make the world static and try to set it in amber uh, so that you can classify things and so you can name everything and so that you can figure it out or whatever. Of course, you could figure things out if you freeze time. The trick is to keep the clock running and do it as things are changing at a pace that is unfathomable. <laughs> so that's what's a uh, great this is a crazy careen through it like a mad person. That's because it's madness, and uh, but uh, bless you, if you would like some more solid answers, um, there's lots of there's lots of them out there. The one question, you will find a thousand true answers, in, to your question, people will gladly give you an entire. Worldview, all neatly tied together. Everything is explained, pretty good, pretty satisfying stuff. But uh, if you like if you like cooking and eating, you realize you you dabble in lots of cuisines. You know, you end up trying lots of things. And sure, classical French cooking is good, but it isn't Thai cooking. So. You know, you got to have all the different spices. You got to have all the different flavors, and you got to offer them to your guests. And they are going to spit some things out. They're going to go, huh, or let it just kind of drool out of their mouth. That's what I find with the show a lot of times. If people, are like, oh, I found that you were saying some stuff that did not agree with. It Hardy and I just let it. I just let it kind of ooze and drool out of my mouth on my chin. Well, that's all right. Is that milk? It was it that raw milk? I was squirting it. Yeah, it tasted kind of gamey. Well, yeah. I mean, cows aren't really game, <laughs> but I mean, if you get, it'd be great. It'd be better for them maybe if you if you were if they were give them a head start. Third cow, you got to hunt a cow. Go go. Uh, you you want a hamburger? Shoot a cow in a forest. I still, that doesn't sound good, though. I'm sorry. Don't do that. Oh, I was mad. When you said that, I was angry with you, Hardy. But then I realized you meant a cartoon cow. Yes. Yes. Right? That's what I meant. Not a real creature. Oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm sorry there was a mix-up there for a second. Anything hurtful I didn't mean to say. That's true. You know, that is true. Um, and that's why... I, but never double down on it. That's the thing. You say, well, that wasn't hurtful to me. You go, yeah, but it hurt me. Okay, accept that, that. People get uh, embarrassed and mad. You know, that's what uh, these days, too. You say, oh, something you said was hurtful. I don't care. I can't say anything. Well, dang, man. <laughs> you know, if it all, uh, I can manage all the time. It's just a, uh, uh, I want to know the truth. I don't want people to lie to me about. Whether I'm, they, you know, accept something I've said or not, or they've I've hurt them or not, don't lie about it. I want somebody to be hurt and then lie about it. I'd rather them say the, the truth, so that I can, I can learn and become more aware of others. I always welcome that. I'm always uh, discovering more and more about my worldview, what, all my assumptions. this the crazy fiction that I've created to explain things and that I've dragged other people into. And so I really, really try to see things clearly. And I personally do it with absurdity. You are listening to Miracle Nutrition on WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. 91.9 in Rockland County, in New York City, New York, and online at WFMU.org, worldwide. Oh, my goodness, Freeform Radio, the way Freeform Radio is meant to radio free and formless. This has been a radio program that was written by myself, and then it was recorded by a fellow named Richard other people involved with it. A woman named Grace came in and did some work on it as well as some other people who drew some sketches while we sat around and smoked cigars and had drinks. It was a jolly time and we worked together on a project that we all felt wonderful about. Then there was a chap named Chuck who would draw things and show them to us and we'd build them out of clay. And the clay was brought to us by a woman named Roberta. And after that, there was fireworks and we had sandwiches we loved it all in those days people wore their trousers wider and then more narrow again it seemed as if things would change all the time but then things changed once and for all and the lovable family of hearted white and all his friends came together and one of them is actually named baruch spinoza if you can believe it like the philosopher that seems to be a joke is that some sort of joke Intended to be. Then there's a fellow named, uh, well, that one's named Butchie as well, and then there's a a guy named, uh, his name will come to me in a minute, Lou, or Louis.
1: Twin's name was Ebony. Her name was Mahogany. Twin's name was Ebony. Her name was Mahogany. Twin's name was Ebony. (laughs) Let's go. (laughs) The <laughs>